Greetings. It's my new. It's my new um, intro, Al. I've dropped Fred Truman. I thought it was uh, Joey from Bread for a minute. Then. Yeah, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing Joey from Bread. I like greetings. <laughs> uh, welcome to the sitcom archive, Deep Dive Overdrive, the Sado podcast, with me, X Benedict slash Joey Boswell, and me, Alison Barton Simmons. You haven't got a. Uh, a catchphrase, have you? you need I've one. not. I, I, I might just. I'm just going to wait for one to just um, take 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 over, take me over spiritually, and I'll just uh, come out with it. Just develop naturally. Yeah, Fair I haven't enough. got it yet. So um, we're we're getting stuck in into the second series of the podcast where we're looking at Faulty Towers, which ran from 1975 to 1979, was just over two seasons and twelve episodes on the BBC, and I'm enjoying it. Aren't you? I am more than um, I anticipated. I think. Having having seen it in fits and starts when I was younger, but never really deep diving it. So it, this is yeah, it's it's quite um an experience. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the one we watched um for this episode, yeah. which was called The Builders. Yes, I found it really enjoyable and laughed out loud several times. I did. I did too. Even though I've seen it loads of times, yeah, I still laughed out loud at it. Uh, as as always, each and every week we will deep dive one of the episodes of Faulty Towers in sequential order. And you can watch along and listen along with us by either watching the show on BritBox, if you've got the DVDs, or on Dailymotion, where some tinker has uploaded it illegally. Um, just shush, don't tell the BBC. Unless the BBC want to like pay us to do this podcast, in which case, yeah, tell them. That'd be nice. They are on, sorry, they are on um, the iPlayer as well at the moment. So you can just... Oh, uh, they're on iPlayer, are they? Yeah, you can just head over there and, and um, just watch them. VPN, yeah. (laughs) If you're not in the UK, Um, so yes, you can you can watch along and then you can listen to us dissect each and every episode, which we're doing week by week. This week's episode, as I said, is called The Builders. It's a cracking episode. But before we get stuck into it, we've got a little game this week, haven't we? Yes. It's essentially it's Call My Bluff, which is which is our way of um, pretending we've got a new game when it's just the game we did last series. True or false? Yes, it's just true. Yeah, just moving it on, moving it on. Just like would I lie to you? They just nip the idea off, call my bluff, and call yeah. it something else. It's it's um it's it's timeless. It's a timeless um game show. Um, what's the word? Format. Format. There we go. Format. Format. Yeah, I've been having a day like that as well. Just can't think of the right. Can't way. think of words. So um, I'm going to present you with three statements about the cast of Faulty Towers, and you'll have to, you know, say whether it's true or false, effectively. Okay. This week it's me doing you, isn't it? And then yeah. next week you're going to do three I'm for me. I'm going to come up so. with them. Yeah. Right. Are you ready, Alison Barton Simmons? I am ready. Well, let's have a game of Call My Bluff. Is what I say true or maybe it's tough? It's Faulty Towers, Call My Bluff. So play along, it's time for Faulty Towers, Call My Bluff. The burns that Andrew Sachs suffered in the Germans episode were so severe that he actually pursued compensation and got it from the BBC. Oh, I... I'm going to say that that's false, because that would be... Of that time, perhaps a, a bit of a duff move for an actor wanting to continue working in the BBC. Oh yeah, fair comment. I see what you mean. And perhaps I mean the answer is that it was true. Oh but God! Perhaps he did. Perhaps he didn't pursue it. Perhaps he was just awarded it. So I may have misled you a little bit with my okay. with my bluff there. Yeah. With my no, non bluff. Um, the truth of the matter was that the fire, which was heat free, but the chemicals that were used to produce the flameless smoke caused acid burns to his arms and he was rushed to Harley Street afterwards. John Cleese was furious with the health and safety people, apparently. Right. I'm sure Andrew Sachs was even more furious. I bet he was, yeah, burned and furious. (laughs) And the guy said, the guy at Harley Street told him he would be scarred for life. As it turned out, the scars did fade after about five or six years. And he was given 750 quid combo by the Oh, yeah. bless him. Andrew Sachs. It's hardly Harrison Ford getting crushed in the Millennium Falcon type it's, money, is it? I, no, that's um, oh, pocket change. No, I suppose. But yeah. back then it was probably quite a bit of cash, I suppose. And of course, in, I mean, he was always getting beaten up on the show. But yeah. like I said in our, in our first episode of this series, there was also the frying pan incident where the props guy had, had, had 
set up this frying pan and and sort of put a, a foam exterior around yes. it around it to protect Andrew Sachs, and then Cleese picked up the wrong frying pan and brained him with it. So God, you know, he was really suffering for his art, wasn't he? Yes. So not a good start. I'll give you another one. Okay. After the. De- <laughs> I'm laughing at this one already. <laughs> After divorcing John Cleese, Connie Booth had a relationship with Anton Rogers, who played Alec Callender in May to December. <laughs> Why is that funny? Do you remember May to December? Yeah, I do. I quite like that. It was very cosy. Yeah. It was cosy. It was a seven o'clock one, wasn't it? Yeah. I like the, like the, the ditzy secretary. Yes. It was, it was such... Um, just, I think he, I'm, I'm sure I might be wrong. I'm sure it was on midweek, and it reminds me of learning my spellings for the spelling test the next day at school. <laughs> well, not learning them because you were too busy. No, because I was too too busy watching May to December. Oh, I'm going to say that that's true. That that sounds like something that is has a possibility to it. You're going to say that's true, even though it's it sounds like something that I would have made up, really, doesn't it? <laughs> That's a really random person to just sort of pluck out the air, though, um, Anton Rogers. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna say true. Well, you're correct. It is true. Yes. Um, she had a brief relationship with Anton Rogers and also Playboy Justin de Villeneuve. Oh, who's that? Who's I have just? No idea, who, I liked sounds, his name. Yeah, <laughs> he sounds like a, um, like he's some baddie. He's like a baddie out of a film. I've got. I'm picturing him as as, Vin, as Vincent Cassell in Ocean's Eleven. Oh right, okay. Twelve, yeah, like a like it, like you say, like a playboy. Yeah, smart dressed. Mm, cad. Mm. Yeah, we're on to Terry Thomas again. <laughs> Terry um, Thomas, yeah. No, so she had relationships with Anton Rogers and this playboy fellow before she met theatre critic John La, who she's been with ever since. Okay, okay. But yes, I thought you would think I'd made that up. You'd think no. maybe you just picked some random, some rando. And no, that him sounds in. no, that sounds so specific that it, it had to be true. Because May to December was like what I like to think of as in the brush stroke slot, the seven pm yes. pre EastEnders entertainment. Yeah, nice. Uh, do you remember there was a show called um, was it called? It wasn't Two Point Four Children. No, that was on about then. Earlier, earlier than that, um, there was Home to Roost, which had Reese Dinsdale in it, which was like a really cosy, and John Thor was in it as well, and it, that was like a really cosy show. There was another one as well one. where there was it was a family, and there was a. A picture on the wall, like a, a cross stitch picture that said "Home Sweet Home," and then it it went all wonky, and it was oh, like, that rings a bell. And there was a family is, and loads of kids and like loads of toing and froing and coming in and going out of the house. That was also mm. very cosy. I'm sure one of our sadders will let yeah, us know what that was. Yeah, yeah. If, I might try and Google it afterwards, but that yeah, that kind of time of of the day that it was on. Katie, if you're listening, who's our number one sadder? Please tell us. <laughs> Please tell us. She she fills us in on all of the things that we miss. <laughs> so, last one for you. John Cleese's real name is John Cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say that that's false. <laughs> Do you think I was just getting lazy at the end? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, it's sort of true. Um, really? Believe it or not. Well... Cleese's family surname was originally Cheese, but his grandfather changed it upon joining the military to avoid being picked on. Good move. Yeah, so you're kind of right. Oh, so his name is John Cheese. Yeah, his name should be John Cheese if his if his grandfather. It's weird, isn't it? Like in The Good Life, at least two of those actors didn't have their original names either, mm. did they? Like Penelope Keith and um, Felicity Kendall. I think either the grandfathers had changed yeah. names. And it's like Donald Trump's grandfather yeah. did as well. Because they were Drumpf, weren't they? Yes. The Drumpf yeah. family. Do you think it was just that era of, of people that sort of arrive in, in different countries and, and trying to sort of distance themselves with, with the past? I don't know, che- I don't know, cheese isn't very controversial, though, is I it? I think it, it, immigrants do it a lot. I've, mm. got a, I've got a friend here um, who's from Russia and he's just anglified his name. Yeah. Or well, yeah. New Zealandified his name. Yeah, he's not, gone, he's not gone for a Maori name, but you know what I'm saying. He's he's gone with George, which is a lot easier than yeah to pronounce than his real Russian name. I can't imagine that there would be many John cheeses like in Equity. So it would have been mm. a memorable sort of name to have as an actor, I suppose. Lends itself to puns as well. It does. If he if John Cheese was touring now, 
in this day and age. Imagine the the the, the names of his tours that he could come up with. You know, like Joe Lysett. Yeah. I'm about to lose control and I think I lice it yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. John Chi, he does it lends itself well to um to to an actor, I think. My favourite um tour name of a mm. British comedian is Rod Gilbert's tour. The cat that looks like Nicholas Lindhurst. Is that what his tour was called? Well he found I've seen him talking about this once where every time he went on tour, a big fan of his would sort of follow him round wearing clothes relating to the tour so he thought well i'm gonna to have to get this bastard right. and so we named named his tour after something that the guy wouldn't be able to find clothing that matched or something like that <laughs> that's very extreme isn't it and yet the guy did manage to find a cat that looked like nicholas linda excellent oh photographed it and put it on a t-shirt good yeah, work good i like it. that yeah so what did you get should we say one and a half yeah so you've got one and yeah. a half to beat next week to be fair, John Cleese's real name isn't John Cheese, so you got two, didn't you? Oh, okay. You got two. That's a tough one for me to beat next week, but let's see. Yeah. Well, well let's have a game of Call My Bluff. Is what I say true or maybe it's tough? It's Faulty Towers, Call My Bluff. So play along, it's time for Faulty Towers, Call My Bluff. Okay, let's let's get stuck into this one, shall we? Which yes. is Series 1, Episode 2, The Builders. So as usual, we start with the sign. Um, it's just the S missing this week, isn't it? No, it's a wonky L. Oh, a wonky L. You're right. There was a wonky L. Yeah, I think true. it was. I think it was a, an S missing last week, weren't it? It was just a wonky L this week. Yes, that's all. Uh, but I mean, it, this one just really opens with Polly being very busy at reception and answering the phone, and she's been a little bit impatient. Not mm. not to Basil extent. <laughs> no, but she's just tired, isn't she? I think she is. She's been up. Very early, she's, uh, or she, or she's not been to bed, and so she's, um, yeah, she's, uh, it seems quite taxing for her this morning. Yeah, she's just a bit crotchety, not, mm. not, not like meltdown like Basil would be. No, but um, it, it becomes transparent that the Faulties are off for a golfing break. Yes, we see them getting ready, charging around in their golfing gear, which I'm sure that you will have something to say about later. Yes, and then it, it's quickly established that there is a garden gnome arriving soon as well. <laughs> as well as Mr. Stubbs' men to do some work. So basically, it's all like exposition here at the beginning, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, I was already feeling slightly anxious at this point that they were going away and there's all sorts of things that need to be done in a certain order and people to and fro in. You could, I could see it. Oh, oh, God, the setup was already there, weren't it, before? Well, people... Polly was telling them not to worry. She was saying there's only the Major and Miss Tibbs and Miss Gatsby for dinner. Yeah. So everything will be fine. And you think, yeah, fucking won't know, will it? Nope. That was a little cameo by the major who says, uh, oh, good good morning. And he doesn't remember her name. She just goes, never mind. <laughs> oh, no, does he say to Sybil as well? She says, good morning, major. And he says, very well, thank you. <laughs> oh, bless him. Just a dotty old bugger, isn't he? Yeah. So Basil, Basil turns up dressed like a fucking idiot. And... Um, <laughs> Anyway, well, he is, isn't he? Let's be honest. Yes. He, uh, he wants to give Manuel a bit of a pep talk and give him some jobs for while he's away, including washing the window. Yes. Because um, Manuel is saying, talk to me in English, it's good for me. But then he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand it. He understand no. what he's saying. He literally, Basil literally picks him up and, and carries him to the window to show him what he should be doing, doesn't he? I was really impressed by the way that he was scooped up the way that that Manuel gets scooped up literally, and he looks so tiny and and so petite, and the way that he gets carried into the into the dining room, it, it it was perfect. The timing of it and and just the way that it looked, I thought that that slapstick sort of joke played off really well. It, yeah, because because Andrew Sats would have had to have gone stiff as a board, yeah. wouldn't he, to be so. Yeah, so horizontal. Yeah, Basil's arm. Just, just across and off they went, and I, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was fab. It's very well done. I do like, I do like their little set. There, there seems to be a um, a Basil Manuel joke early on, like last time it was the but the butter. And Uno, the, dos, tres. Yeah, 
and this the the sort of physical joke of being just literally picked up and and carried out. I loved it. I thought it was fab. We're not doing MVPs, but if we were, Manuel would win it this week. I yes, he would just for that. Week. Yeah. Oh, not just for that. <laughs> we'll get on to the rest of the things. I think he, I think he steals it this week. Yeah. <laughs> I like. I also liked Manuel saying we have practicing his English. He says we have beef, veal, and sausages. <laughs> A bangers, <laughs> and then you get that bizarre but still very funny scene with the little old ladies. I found it a bit creepy. I, I think I don't like them too. They, they creep me at the, at the moment. I find them quite creepy. Yeah, they're just always there. They're like you know, they just creep up on Basil all the time. If you were staying at that hotel and you saw him coming, like if you were a resident like the major, you'd fucking give him the body swerve, wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Or if you. If you were getting a lift in Nelson Mandela House and there they were in it. <laughs> oh, fuck me. <laughs> yeah, but there was just it was just a really weird, this scene, but I did like Basil's lines. I think that one of the ladies said to him, don't do anything I wouldn't do. And he said, oh, well, surely a little bit of breathing. <laughs> and there was, um, they said, you need to get away from it. And he said, well, we are going together. Yeah. <laughs> just brilliant lines. Did you did you hear where they were going to as well? The fact that the yeah, the, the, yeah. The, the the ladies and the major had to go to Glen Eagles Hotel for their dinner, which is the real life hotel that Faulty Towers was based on, which I quite liked. It like like yeah. a nudge, little nudge there. Nice little Easter egg before yeah. Easter eggs were a thing. I love an Easter yeah. egg. Oh, Mr. Forty. Ah, funny that is. Ursula, I think you're a very naughty boy, don't you, Ursula? Oh, God. Oh, really? <laughs> Going away for the weekend and leaving us all alone. Ah, yes. <laughs> ah, but we know where you're going. The cat's out of the bag. You and your wife. Well, it's only Penton. Ah, we'll have a lovely time. It'll do you good. You need to get away from things. Yes, well, we're going together. <laughs> and don't you worry about us. Oh, all right. Now, you know the men are coming to do some work here? Oh, yes. So you have to go to Glen Eagles for your din-dins tonight? Yes. Yes, and Polly will be in charge if you need anything. Oh, we'll have a lovely weekend. And don't do anything we wouldn't do. Oh, just a little breathing, surely. <laughs> well, I must buzz off now. A buzz? Yes, you know, Abita. Have Babbity Bumble. Oh, buzz, 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 buzz. And then we get, we, I think we get the first example of something that happens a lot, which is Basil undermining Polly's artwork. Yeah. He sort of berates her for leaving it lying around and just critiques it very savagely, doesn't he? Yeah. I, f- I, found, I found this conversation quite clunky. Um, the whole disagreement about, well, what's the point? Well, what's the point in anything? What's the point in life? I just, I just thought it was a bit, bit of a clunky conversation that didn't really seem to go anywhere or fit anywhere and I didn't really mm. see the point in it. Sorry about this background noise, by the way. It's bin day in New Zealand. <laughs> I mean, not whole, not all of New Zealand, but my little corner in New Zealand. I can't hear it. Yes, no, I quite liked about this conversation, though, the way that Polly stood up to him. Because she basically doesn't take Manuel's shit at no. all. She'll just... She's kind of very passive-aggressive and sarcastic to him. And I, I know what you're saying, it was a bit clunky, but I also quite liked her standing up to him and... In, in a while when it becomes apparent that, that Basil's booked O'Reilly to do the building work <laughs> rather than Stubbs and he confides in Polly. Yeah. She's she's like, well, Mrs. Faulty said we won't do it again. And then yeah. he's like, as he's leaving, she says, if she asks, I'll tell her. He says, oh, thank you. But basically, he's, she's not afraid of him. Yes. Although she does have this weird loyalty to him, which we'll come on to, which I yes. don't really get. Yeah. Um, and, and when O'Reilly first calls, we have that pantomime of, of Basil pretending that he doesn't know why O'Reilly's calling. You know what I mean? And I think yeah. Sybil must know. Yeah. He must be fooling no one. It's it's one of them that you can you can sort of see that, again, you can see the problem coming because Sybil's adamant that they're not to use O'Reilly again. Yeah. Because um, he's, he's, he's left a pile of bricks outside that's supposed to be a wall. He's not come back for four months to, to sort the wall out. So why is he going to come and do these jobs and do it any better? So I can I can I can see Sybil's point of view at this point, and it's one of them where if if they just had a conversation, it would be all right. Yes. Uh, well, I think what you see in here is the setup for a lot of Faulty Towers episodes, and something yes. that Faulty Towers is almost is almost the archetype for, which is that 
telling of a big lie mm. at the beginning and then telling lots and lots of yeah. little lies to compound the first lie and make yes. the situation worse. And they do this in a lot of episodes and I think no, probably Faulty Towers was the first to do it to base an entire show around it. I mean, there's, there's a big lie and then it just gets worse and worse as they try and cover and yeah. cover. And Until gets it gets more, more, and just gets more ridiculous, doesn't it, towards the end where you think, oh my God, that didn't need to happen if you just mm. talked about it at the beginning. But then, it, like like I've said before, it wouldn't be, it would, there'd be no point in making it if you weren't going to have be a sitcom, these, would it? These, these daft things that happened. Yeah. I can't, I can think of other sitcoms that do this type of thing as well because there's lots of them, but I, mm. I have... I mean, I'm not a sitcom scholar like the guys at um, Sitcom Geeks or Sitcom Clubs. Yeah. Uh, the Sitcom Club. And what's the other one I listen to? Um, sitcom Showdown. Yeah. All of which are very good podcasts and I highly recommend our listeners check them out. Mm. But And that they're, they're much more learned about comedy writing, particularly on Sitcom Geeks. They'll go into the into the tropes and, and yeah. why things work the way they do. Mm. And they're, 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 great, they're great podcasts. They um, they would probably know better than I do, but I would have thought that maybe Faulty Towers was seminal in setting up this type of plot. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. Faulty Towers, how are you? Nice day. Sybil, Sybil turns around to Basil and says, do try to be agreeable this weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> agreeable. Oh, dear. Yeah. To put it very, very lightly, yeah. Don't be a dick, Basil. Agreeable is not a word that you would associate. <laughs> yeah, don't be a dick, Basil. I, I can actually see that as being something that my wife should probably say to me on occasion. Just try and <laughs> be, be agreeable. agreeable. Yeah. Because I'm not agreeable. I'm argumentative. <laughs> but life is sometimes a bit easier, isn't it, if you just choose to be agreeable? Yes, it can be. And then as they leave... Another thing that Faulty Towers does a lot, it, mm. it almost feels like it's it's a play in acts because it yes. fades out. It's like here's the end of Act One. Yes, do you know what I mean? I feel that, yeah. Where things haven't much changed, things it, it's not really moved on. It's almost just like a little bit later. Yeah, you even come back up in the same room. You're in the same room, just a few, just a, a movement in time forward. Yeah, it's like here's 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 our exposition, and now we're getting into the story in Act Two. Yeah. But uh, when when Act Two does start, <laughs> it's really weird. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's just bizarre, isn't it? Because it's it's Polly drawing Manuel, yes, with his hands in the air in the lobby, right next to a raw legged lamb. Yeah, she's busy sketching him. Well, why has he got a raw legged lamb? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It must be something, some sort of artistic setup that she's that she's sketching. But Manuel's really enthusiastic about it, which is that, that's that's always a plus, isn't it? She's got him in an in a uncomfortable position, though, hasn't <laughs> yes, she? she has. She's got him holding this ridiculous position. Yeah. Bloke. Oh, I know. Anyway, after a while, she she decides she's too tired. She's going to disappear for a kip and get 40 winks. Yes. And she, she gives Manuel instructions to wake her when Mr. O'Reilly's men arrive. Yes. Which he does understand. He does. He does. She. I noticed as well that she, because she speaks, she spoke at length to him in Spanish, which is not really something that's ever real, ever pointed out or doesn't seem to be utilised because, again, that would perhaps help the situation a lot of the time because Polly seems to be quite fluent in Spanish. Yeah. And you think, why, yeah. don't they, why don't they use her more often to communicate with Manuel? But, again, there'd be no, there'd be no, there'd be no story, no, no funniness. She's fluent in the strange dialect that Manuel's picked up <laughs> rather than classical Spanish. Yes. And then, anyway, so she disappears, and then this is why I think Manuel would be the MVP because yes. this next scene is like a virtuoso one-man show. Well, it's not one man because there are comings and goings. Yeah. But Andrew Sachs is brilliant in this little yeah. sort of three or four minutes. He's first of all, he's pretending to run the hotel as he answers the phone, going, "Manuel Towers, how are you?" <laughs> <laughs> I laughed at that line, Manuel Towers, because he doesn't even use his surname, does no. he? It's just Manuel Towers. <laughs> And then a man arrives with a gnome, wanting to know where the real boss is, so he can give give him the, the gnome. Yes. And Manuel doesn't understand, and he's like, "I am real boss," because <laughs> he, he calls him the um, the Generalissimo, which Manuel. You can see Manuel's face drop when he gets asked, like, "Where where is he?" Where's and, and Manuel just assumes that he means Franco, <laughs> and he says he's in Madrid. He's in Madrid. Um, but in Madrid. A, a, apparently, um, it, it was this. This was shown in the UK. This episode was shown two months before the death of Franco, which I thought was quite interesting. 
Um, yeah. And then when the Catalan version of it was aired, 11 years later, when it was, I think when it was dubbed... Probably by him himself. I think it was, yeah. When when he gives the line about where is the Generalissimo, rather than saying in Madrid, he says dead. They suddenly changed the line to suit the... Um, to I suit, think that changes suit, the tone of the... To um, suit the understanding. Changes the tone of the scene a bit, because it's like, in Madrid, it's quite yeah. a beat, but if he just goes, dead. Dead. Because <laughs> <laughs> when Manuel was voiced by Andrew Sachs in the, in the Catalan version. Mm. Manuel's character was Mexican. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Because it wouldn't have played well for these jokes to be about Manuel to being be from Barcelona. To be about Manuel being from Barcelona, of course. Yeah. Okay. Andrew Sachs basically stayed in work for ages doing all these different versions <laughs> of Manuel. <laughs> oh, good on him. I know nothing. Manuel sort of... It assumes that this man dropping the gnome, which of course he wasn't told about the gnome, he was only told about O'Reilly's men. Yes. Um, he assumes that the guy's trying to book a room for the, for the gnome. <laughs> for the gnome! That's a logical conclusion. <laughs> but as he won't pay, Manuel just decides the gnome's not going to get a room and he stashes it behind a reception counter, which you kind of feel like that's going to Oh, there's a setup. Hiding gnomes. And then O'Reilly's men turn up. Sporting thick Dublin accents and aggressive attitudes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Did you spot Mr. Lurphy, the guy with the beard that speaks to Manuel? Did you spot who he was? Oh, the, the one who punches Manuel in the end? Yes. No, who is he? He was Mr. Baxter, the PE teacher from Grange Hill. I uh, see, I never really watched Grange Did Hill. Did you not? Oh, it was, yeah, he was Bullet Baxter. Who was quite one, one in the early um, series of Grange Hill? He was the um, the PE teacher, so I spotted him mm-hmm. straight away as soon as he came on screen. I dare say most people from yeah of our our age would recognise him. I think then. they probably would do. Yeah, it gave me a bit of a um, PTSD flashback because as a kid, I assumed that everybody went to Grange Hill. I just thought that that's what everybody went there. I didn't realise it was a fictional TV show <laughs> and a pretend school. I thought that that's what you did after you finished primary school. You went, everybody went to Grange Hill, and I was frightened to death. Yeah, you're like, I don't want to, I don't want to inject smack into me veins. No, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I'm, a, I, I can't sing. I can't make a record. I can't sing. Just, just, just say no. Stay clear of Zamo. <laughs> don't go near Zamo. Yeah, I was frightened of Mr. Bronson. I thought I just don't want. I just, oh, scary times. No, well, I one of the reasons I didn't watch Grange Hill was because I was told it. I remember being in primary school and being told, don't watch it because it'll make you scared about going to secondary school. So I didn't. Well, it worked. Well, it did. It absolutely did. I was frightened. Yeah. I don't really feel like I've missed out on something culturally important, really. Although I do occasionally, every time Todd Carty did something in in EastEnders mm. that seemed seemed like uh, he was going to get him in trouble, I'd always make the same joke to Ali, which is, he's pushing his tucker's luck. <laughs> she got really fucking fed up with that. <laughs> Pushing his Tucker's love every fucking oh. week. So I kind of get some of the cultural references from Grinch, yes. but never watched it. Yeah. yeah. But when it comes to PE teachers, um, yeah, I think like most, again, like most people of our, our age and older, mm. certainly, PE teachers were just um, were just legitimised bullies. Yeah, yeah. He was like the archetypal PE teacher. In he used to have a green a green Adidas trackie and a whistle yeah. round his neck. There we go. PE teacher. There's been some great PE teacher um, characters in sitcoms. I seem to remember Jack D doing one. I can't remember what it was there. Was it the Grimleys? Don't know. I was th- I was thinking Brian Connolly was the Grimleys. Yes, he was one as well. He's oh he was yes you're right he was he was in the Grimleys but Jack D was in another one anyway. Oh right. There's, yeah, I mean it, it plays out very comedically when PE teachers are bullies. Yeah. You have to say, but it's it, it, it like you say it gives you PTSD. I remember my first day ever in PE at secondary school. We were all in the gym and I was just sort of sat at the side, kind of ostracised, hadn't made friends. Mm. And I was sat next to this folded up trampoline that was against the wall. I was just sort of <laughs> bored. And I was just like, I remember just like sort of like idly just flicking the chains of this, that were yeah. off this trampoline. And our PE teacher, who was this big burly Welshman come in and uh, he was telling everyone to shut up and I was still flicking the chains. <laughs> so he's like, all right, Wilfred, stop playing with your chains. Oh no. Then, like, for about six months after that, he just kept calling me Wilfred. I don't know why. Oh. I mean, 
Wilfred as in, like, I don't know, baby name? Oh, Wilfred, you playing with your chains? What an odd thing to do. Oh. Well, the other thing, I know we're going totally off topic, was <laughs> for, um, I had a pair of football boots that were, like, probably two sizes too small. I really struggled to get into them. But for some reason, I don't know if I didn't ask her. My mum wouldn't buy me new ones, I don't know. But um, probably I just never told her. And I, I, I squeezed my feet into these football boots to go and play football. And then we went down the field. And the, and the PE teacher realised that he hadn't brought footballs. <laughs> <laughs> so he said to me, All right, Wilfred, go up and ask Mr O'Neill to get you the footballs. I said, where is he? He said he's in the gym. So I had to go up oh, to the no. gym. Oh, no. You'd have to hobble in your shoes. In my shoes. But when I got in there, I thought, there's no way I'm taking these shoes off because I'll never get them back on, <laughs> these boots. So, so I went in the gym and walked across the gym floor in my boots, in my studs. All the way to Mr. O'Neill. And he turned around and he was a lunatic as well. And he's like, looks at me like wild eyed, looks at my feet. You're in studs. Get out of my gym. I went absolutely ballistic. So I started hop, like walking back, right, (laughs) towards the entrance. And he went, Not in the boots. (laughs) Because I didn't want, I didn't want to take the boots off. So I got down on my knees and started walking on my knees (laughs) out of the gym. traumatic but it's funny but I was like just and all the kids were laughing because he was like quicker quicker and I'm like shuffling along on my knees oh man oh god oh <laughs> PE teachers they're bastards but anyway anyway Faulty Towers yeah let's get back to Faulty Towers yeah so this this guy who was in Grange Hill he's very aggressive did you notice what his name was as well it was worth it Oh, well, they were calling him Spud. Spud, Spud Murphy. Someone, Spud Murphy, so that's not... A, so maybe he was called a, Murphy. I thought he was called Mr. Murphy. I think he was probably Murphy, yeah. And that's why they called him Spud. Spud O'Reilly, like a, O'Reilly and Murphy is just like yeah, typical, I know. lazy, lazy... It is, isn't it? it is. Yeah. And he, he's getting very aggressive, but he finally realises that Manuel is he's not saying, you are orally men. Oh, he's say, yeah. He's saying, O'Reilly men. And he realises this, doesn't he? Pick as a plank. <laughs> um, so Manuel decides not to wake Polly when he goes up and finds her. No, he just thinks like, that she looks dead sweet because she's asleep and, and he doesn't want to wake her up, which is very, very nice of him. But Yeah, it is. He probably should She's just... faster bobos, isn't she? And he's yeah. like, oh, sleeping beauty, I'll leave her be. I know. So, uh, so he goes downstairs again. Throughout this scene, Manuel keeps taking calls for <laughs> Basil. Yes. Who, who he gets increasingly arty with this guy who's phoning for Basil. Eventually, he's almost impersonating Basil, isn't he? Going, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes absolutely. <laughs> Another piece of brilliance from Andrew Sachs. And then he finally realises that the caller isn't asking for faulty, but it is faulty. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, you can now listen. He not here. How many times? Where are your ears, you great big half-wit? He not here. Listen. Now you understand. He... Oh, 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 Mr. Faulty. I'm very sorry. Very sorry. Is and then you? Basil plays a very cruel trick on Manuel, getting him to say out loud to Spud, you are a hideous orangutan. Yeah. He must have known that he was going to get a smack in the face with that. Yeah, yeah. He got punched, didn't he? He got punched. Mm. At three, Polly wakes up realising she's overslept and Basil's um, driven back in his infamous wee red motor to check on things. Yeah. Sybil playing golf. And uh, when he arrives, he sees that things aren't to his spec. No. So basically, he just has an instant meltdown. <laughs> he does. It, it all goes It goes wrong very quickly, doesn't it? Um, there's a door on the stairs. The door to the dining room's gone. They've not put the other door on the other side of the of the reception room. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's completely the opposite, really, of what Basil's asked for. Yeah, absolutely. He's screaming for Polly and he's pulling her around by the ear. Yeah. There's a brilliant double take from, from Cleese, actually, when he goes to walk into the dining room entrance and he realises it's been plastered <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. very good. The, ti- the comic timing of, of this, I thought, was, um, yeah, it was great. I, I also like his line, uh, sexist though it is, when he mm. says to her, Whose fault is it, you cloth bint? <laughs> cloth bint did make me laugh, yeah, despite being horrifically sexist and, and nasty. I did think 
coffee and bint was quite a good put down. You fell asleep and it's not your fault! You forgot to wake me! Who forgot to wake you? It is my fault! Manuel! I knew it! Manuel! Don't blame him! Why not? That's not really his fault! Well, whose fault is it then, you cloth and bint, Dennis Compton's? <laughs> It reminded me that it made its way into my lexicon as a teenager because did it? I used to I used to say it to my sister and stuff. Yeah. A lot of faultyisms did actually. I did mean, they? you know, like that one where he says in the later episode, he says, "Name Sybil Faulty, specialist subject the bleeding obvious." <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm sure I used to say that to people as well when they pointed out obvious things. Clothiers, um, I like clothiers. I call my kids. My kids get called clothiers usually when they're, they're lurking around corners, listening to things that they shouldn't be listening to, and then they parrot fashion it out to someone inappropriate. That's clothiers for me. You're more of a clothiers girl than a deaf lugs. Yeah, yeah. I, I would. I don't think I'd ever say deaf lugs. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> look at me. Look at you, morally superior. I, I would never say deaf lugs. I should not. No, it's just it's just not part of my my everyday lexicon. Yeah, Look, you, went bit, you went a bit Margot Ledbetter. I know, I felt like I did, actually, yeah. I will pay it. Does Margot approve? Does she approve? Does Margot approve? Does she approve? Does Margot approve? Does she approve? So po- Polly actually blames Basil. She gives as good as she gets, doesn't she? Which yeah. Is which I like. And he starts spanking himself, himself hysterically, saying, you're a naughty boy, Faulty. Yeah, it does get a bit odd at this point, doesn't it? It gets a bit, a bit strange. As we said last week, though, basically poor Battle is literally terrified of Sybil and the repercussions when she finds out that O'Reilly has done the work but not mm. the work that he was supposed to do. So Polly has to slap him to calm him down. Basil's breakdown at this point made me feel quite sad. This obviously it's played for comic effect, isn't it? This 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 mm. whole mental breakdown bit. But I felt I felt quite sad watching him because because knowing knowing that John Cleese was going through stuff at at the point of of being in the, in the show and writing it and he, I think he played that quite well and and the the instant that he stops when she slaps him to stop him from freaking out and mm. then he can just he just pulls it he just pulls it right and he's like able to well deal with stuff and get on with stuff well yeah initially it looked like he was going to punch her in retaliation though. yeah <laughs> yeah and as yeah all all of the all of the slapstick that Cleese excels at he trips over a gnome Starts to throttle the gnome. Um, the slapstick's totally ramped up. And then what happens then is, um, bizarrely, Basil phones O'Reilly and has a really calm telephone conversation with him. Yes. Mm. Which is not expected, unless you've seen it before 18 times like I have. But, um, yeah, it's just out of character from what's been been there before, isn't yeah. it? And, um, and just as Basil's explaining what O'Reilly's men have done wrong to O'Reilly, here's the bin man again. <laughs> Uh, Manuel arrives, says good morning, and then um, Basil breaks away from from his eerily calm castigation of O'Reilly, doesn't mm. he? Just to basically give Manuel a beating. Yes. Rams his head into the plaster in where the door used to be. <laughs> yeah. It does a good old shake, doesn't it? it? What it does does a does a really big wobble. There is. Well, you can even see Andrew Sachs kicking the thing to make the sound effect. <laughs> really, I didn't notice that. That's that's yeah. yeah that's interesting. Because it. It's supposed to be the head hitting the floor, right. the head hitting the wall. He has to kick it to make it make it bang. And then when you talk about bizarre, bizarre behaviour, the major turns up, doesn't he? <laughs> yes. And says, oh, you've lost a door. All oh, these things happen. I wonder where it's got to. It's bound to turn up. Just, oh. <laughs> as I mentioned, I think, in the first episode as well, that you get that brilliant physical comedy of the major walking Manuel out of the door like a chimp. Yeah, holding his hand. Yeah. <laughs> And Manuel sort of walking. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Affecting the sort of physical movements of a chimp mm. is, is perfect. A gin and orange, a lemon squash, and a scotch and water pee. So Basil threatens O'Reilly with inserting the garden gnome into him. Yep. And then we're on to act four. So O'Reilly turns up, played by David Kelly, the respected stage and screen actor of 50 plus years. Yep. Died about a decade ago now. Oh. Memorably to me, he was Charlie Bucket's benefit fraud granddad in in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you know, the Tim Burton indeed. version. He was indeed, yes. He was. Yeah. I liked I liked the old Riley character. I thought he was I, I quite warm to him, despite being completely incompetent. Yeah, he's quite likeable. I think he is very likeable. Yes. He was quite likeable in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, actually, as, mm. as the granddad. 
even though he's a benefit cheat. Yeah, jumping out of bed. All of a sudden, oh, you've won a ticket. Oh, I'm all right now. Yeah, I'll yeah, come with you. Yeah, I'll come. Get I see Willy Wonka bed. played by Johnny Depp. Weird. Weird. Odd. He played he, he played Willy Wonka like Dr. Evil. It was bizarre. Anyway, um, back to Faulty Towers again. Come on, Ben. <laughs> O'Reilly turns up and he's more interested in um, Polly's tea and biscuits. Yes, and he, he is. He, he keeps warning Faulty to stop worrying or he'll have a stroke. Stone dead, you little <laughs> And he keeps referencing the good Lord, doesn't he? He does. He's, <laughs> Leads oh, to he's... a brilliant line, doesn't it, when he went from Basil. The trouble with you, Mr. Forty, is that you're worried too much. You keep it up like this and you'll have a stroke before you're 50. Stone dead you'll be. Suits me. <gasps> That's a dreadful thing to say. I'm not at all. Get a bit of peace. Don't be so morbid. The good Lord made the world so that we could all enjoy ourselves. Look, my wife enjoys herself. I worry. Well, let me tell you, if the good Lord meant us to worry, he would have given us things to worry about. He has! My wife! She will be back here in four hours and she can kill a man at ten paces <laughs> with one blow off her tongue! How am I supposed not to worry? Just remember, Mr. Faulty, there's always someone worse off than yourself. Is there? Well, I'd like to meet him. I could do with a laugh. You just have to worry for the both of us. I'm telling you, if the good Lord... is mentioned once more, I shall move you closer to him. Now, please! <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately Sybil arrives early before O'Reilly has a chance to fix the fuck up oh god I felt the palpitations at this point I felt for Basil well this is where we get our first understanding of why he's just so petrified of her isn't it mm. I mean O'Reilly goes and hides and then Basil blames it all on Stubbs um, who he's still pretending came and did the work yeah and Sybil's having none of it. She's like, where's O'Reilly, Basil? <laughs> yeah, she knows straight away, doesn't she? Obviously because his van's outside. Um, yeah. But, but the, he's like hiding in the um, in the bar. With a drink. With a drink? Yeah, he's having a drink. Do you think he's had a gin and lemon, an orange squash? Orange squash. Or a glass of water? <laughs> this is also the first time we see the recurring trope of Basil faking a shrapnel leg injury just to distract characters from yes. something he doesn't want them to do or see. Yes, he, he pulls it out quite often, doesn't he? Yeah, bit of jip from the old leg. Yeah. Mm. And then, inexplicably, trying to save the day, Polly phones from the other room, putting on a voice, impersonating Mr Stubbs to oh, try and get Basil out of the ship. Worse. It just gets even worse, doesn't it? But what happened to Polly? I'll tell her. Early on, she's like, yeah. I'll tell her if she asks. And now she's covering for Basil. Yeah, and she does, doesn't she? She does that quite often, just steps in and just, just carries on the bullshit in order to keep yeah. Basil out of getting getting in trouble. I think there's a strange dynamic between the two characters mm. because she seems like she'll do anything for him. Yes. Not that not in a not in a uh, not in a loved up way, just no. maybe maybe she pities him. But you can't help wondering because Sybil rumbles this straight away and goes and mm. catches Polly. I'd like to have seen the the effect of of that afterwards. You know the repercussions, what, yeah. the conversation between Polly and Sybil. Yeah, she can't have been happy, can she? Not at all. You'd think, oh, you well, you fell asleep and now you're lying. Just get yeah, yeah. your cards are marked. Get out. But then Sybil just goes on the warpath, doesn't she? She's yes, she's she does. Attacks Basil. Oh God, yeah. Well, she, she she smacks his arm and throws things around reception, stamps on his toes. Yeah, and hitting him with the umbrella. She's got an umbrella and she's battering yeah, him with the umbrella. Yeah, bashes him and actually kicks him in the shin. Yeah. And she declares um, about O'Reilly, who, who sort of sauntered in behind her he at does, this point. He does, I know. <laughs> he just sort of saunters in with his, with his drink looking pretty relaxed. Oh. And Sybil says he's nothing but a half-witted, thick Irish joke. But O'Reilly just treats it all like a big joke. Um, he seems to think it's funny. And Basil, you can see he's literally yeah. fearful for O'Reilly's life. Don't smile. Just don't smile. Yeah. Why are you smiling? Well, he says, doesn't he, paraphrasing, but doesn't he say something like, to be perfectly honest, Mrs. Faulty, I love a woman with spirit. I do. I do. I like that bit. It made me warm to him because I thought he's just, he might have botched the job, but he's, he's a genuinely nice person, I suppose. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. Bit of an idiot. But yeah. um, he, Sybil turns her anger onto him and batters him with an umbrella, which apparently really hurt. I've seen. I bet. 
yeah. the actor talk about that. He said it really, really hurt. Again, the props guy probably wasn't up to scratch, like with the saucepan or like with the fire. Just a real brolly. And yeah. Yeah, you can imagine. That's like getting caned, isn't it? And then um, having battered O'Reilly, Sybil sort of clears off to Audrey's. Yes. Invisible character alert. Yes, yep. Not seen her since she had a hysterectomy. I think she does appear in one episode, if I remember rightly. Does she? But we'll we'll find out in due time, of course. But I th- she's largely an invisible when character. When she's leaving, when Sybil's leaving, um, Basil says to her, have a good day, dear, don't drive over any mines. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. And then when she's out of earshot, he's, he, he just sort of mutters, toxic midget. I didn't hear that, does he? Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, heck. But he just doesn't know when he's beaten, does he? Because instead of instead of getting in um, stubs to fix it, yes. faulty doubles down or triples down or yeah. octuples down yeah. or whatever it is at this stage. Just keeps going. He tells O'Reilly. He tells O'Reilly he's going to do the work and and they'll show Sybil basically. Yes. Well, I must be punished then, mustn't I? You're a naughty <laughs> The next scene is when they're still in the in the reception area, aren't they? And Manuel is at the door. Basil comes in looking all smart, and the doors are all everything's fixed. Everything looks yeah, like everything's it miraculously do. back as it should be. Yeah, yeah, everything's as it should be, and they put music yeah. on. I think it's from <laughs> yeah the music. The Swan, I think it's from Swan Lake, and they all go and hide. Um, and obviously Sybil's back. Sybil's Sybil's about to sort of come in, and I think I, I think Basil's hoping that she'll come in and go, "Wow, all is forgiven," because you've 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 got it all sorted. I don't know if it's about forgiveness so much as showing her. Do you know what I mean? Do you think? But he, he, I think he wants to embarrass her. Okay. There is, there make is some her malice feel, in it. Yeah. Make make her look stupid because he's managed to sort it as he said he would do. Yeah, because he's okay. he's probably angry that she doesn't ever trust him and undermines him and all that. Mm. So I think there's there's an element of that. But the Tchaikovsky playing is a nice touch. I, mean, I like it. Yeah, it's cute. But when Stubbs arrives to talk to Sybil, he's, he's clearly embarrassed because you yeah. can see... There doesn't doesn't seem to be any issue, and Basil's just sort of inanely whistling like Tom Good. Yeah, <laughs> he's just sort of floating See? about, looking really smug, going about his business, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And on on the face of it, Stubbs is quite impressed with what's been done and um, the the sort of level of of work that's been completed. However, mm. it's then revealed that to to put these doors in, they've knocked down a supporting wall, and the hotel could just drop down into a pile of bricks at any moment. Yeah, there's the structural integrity's been damaged. I yes. didn't really I'm not I'm not handy in any way, so when they started going on about lentils and I, I thought a lentil was food. Lintel. A lintel it's <laughs> Lint- uh, yeah. It's, lintel. Yeah, the thing that holds the, 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 the walls and the, the walls above up. Right. So yeah, there is panic if it's not done properly because everything could just collapse. But it's all like industry speak, isn't it? RSJ yeah. and birders and shit. Yeah. So I just sort of tuned out. All okay. I need to know is that, that O'Reilly's fucked it up. He has, in a big way. Which he has, yeah. yeah. So then, basically, this is the final scene, isn't it? As Sybil chases Basil out of the hotel. Mm. He's already halfway down the path, <laughs> carrying the gnome. You know where that's going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm off to see Mr. O'Reilly and then possibly moving to Canada. Yes. That's it. Nice ending. I thought, yeah, I like the, uh, I like the, uh, the neat bow of the, of the gnome being used. Oh, I bet you do, yeah. A nice all, neat bow at the end. Yeah, that's your, that's your bag completely. It is. It. <laughs> it is all's well that ends well. I think this is a really good episode, don't you? Yes, I did. I really enjoyed it. It there was. Um, I was starting to feel halfway through that my dislike for the Sybil character was going to overshadow the rest of this season and the next series. I got into a conversation, actually, with with my husband, Johnny, about um, the characters and how they played out and who was, like, the goodie and who was the baddie in that in that sort of situation. Um, and the more, the more we spoke about it and the more we discussed it, the more I sort of came round to thinking, no, I get it. I get why Sybil's like that and I get why she's got to be like that because she must be sort of at a wit's end with this calamity of a man who mm. doesn't listen and just lies and gaslights her constantly to make her think that he's in the right. And it's like you say, 
it's not just doubling down. He just keeps going with things rather than just... Yeah, never-ending, isn't it? Yeah. It's mutually toxic in different ways, I think. It is. But codependent as well. Absolutely. I know that um, it's it's written all over the internet that John Cleese named this episode as the least good of all the episodes. Really? I wonder why. Well, he cited that owing to a general lack of laughter in the studio on a recording day, it just didn't seem to work. Was there like a like a foreign cohort that had come yeah. to watch it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and it just didn't it just didn't work with with that audience. It was the Icelandic Broadcasting Corporation visiting the studio, and they were in the front right. front row seats, and they weren't amused. Oh, but well, that doesn't that's not to say it wasn't a good episode. I could hear plenty of studio laughter, and yeah, and to be honest, having having said that, I saw an interview with David Kelly who played O'Reilly. Yeah. Who referred to the episode as being John's favourite? Oh, really? So, so maybe he was just disappointed that the audience didn't sort of yeah maybe roll around with laughter as he as he anticipated. I don't think that Cleese is particularly consistent when talking about the the show over the years, and he's done okay. you know he's talked about it a lot. Obviously, I think he's mm. one of these people who often contradicts himself. To be honest, but I thought it was a right. belter. I have to say, yes, me too, me too. There's a lot of violence in it. Are we going to keep a violence tab? Because there was a hell of a lot of violence. There was Basil on Manuel. Yeah. Um, Spud on Manuel. Sybil on Basil. Sybil on O'Reilly. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was quite a um, a heavy weapon. Lots of weapons yeah. were used, not just sort of like fists. Should we? Uh, did you manage to pick out a, a piece of bric-a-brac? I did. I did. This week I have chosen for my bric-a-brac the telephone directory Rolodex, which I think my my grandparents, who were, they they epitomised the the 1970s. Their house was sort of like a a museum to the 1970s when Mm. I was a kid. And they had one of these, and it was like a telephone directory for all your friends and neighbours' numbers. But on the front, it had uh, like a... The, the rotary bit of a rotary telephone on the front. Yeah. It didn't really work, but you you could put your finger in the air. <laughs> what? You could put your finger in the air. <laughs> Whatever floats your boat. I mean, you know, I'm not here to judge. God. You could put your finger in the le- the corresponding yeah. letter for the name of the person, and then you flicked it round, and then the lid popped up, and then the numbers were all there, and it was like in a little rectangular-shaped... Like a, dre- like a fancy address book, but uh, you don't see them anymore. You all, I, I've only ever seen them in the sort of 70s and 80s. Well, I suppose a, a dial phone like that has got no reference point to anyone these days, has no, it? No, no. And nobody has. I don't, do people have address books anymore? I don't, I don't it's think all in their phones, isn't keep it? Them, really. yeah. it is. It is. Or in the cloud. Don't need to put your, don't need to put your finger in the A anymore. No. It's just non-essential. <laughs> It's almost like, do they call it a Rolodex? No, is that something different? That's something in businesses. A Rolodex is a very similar thing where you had all the numbers on like a cylinder and they flipped around. It's, I think Rolodex was like like Hoover. I think it's a, a, the, the company name of, of something. You could have like different variations of generic things like it, but Rolodex, I think, was the, the card, the spinny round card thing. Ah, okay. Not the official title of it, though. Well, we, we probably should have... Um... Exchange notes beforehand because that was my pick too. <laughs> was it really? Yeah. What did you call it though? Did you call it a Rolodex? I've written down did you call it ro- else? the Rolodex thingy that Manuel messes about messes about with. Is it really? Yeah, but it, I don't need it. Obviously, isn't it Rolodex? I could always just go with the gnome because the gnomes were very in vogue in the seventies and eighties. Yes. I mean, it was a massive gnome. And yeah. You used to get most towns of any size probably knew a house as you know kids would know a house where there was a shitload of gnomes and pr- and probably go yeah. and rearrange them and put them in positions where they were shagging each other and stuff like that yeah absolutely yeah. so that was of its time i guess I, i'll i'll default to using the gnome as my bric-a-brac okay to finish off let's have a little trip over to fashion corner and you can talk us through basil and sybil's golfing gear amongst Amongst other atrocities. Amongst others, absolutely. Let's go. Well, Well, it's time time to take a little trip to the place that long ago was hip. It's Fashion Corner. It's Fashion Corner. It's Fashion Corner. Fashion Corner. Corner. Early on in this episode, um, Polly 
in the uh, reception area right at the start of the of the episode. There's a there's a real stark difference between Polly in the pilot and Polly in this episode. In the first episode, she's very um, very muted, very sort of severe, scraped back hair, and I think in in the second episode, she's more feminine looking. She looks softer. Um, she's got like an Air Force blue blows and skirts, the blows with a big big collar, but she looks her hair's all blown out and she's she's got like a like a pin tucked pencil skirt. So very much of the era, but the, the, the colour seems to really go with um, like her look and complexion. I think that that, that Air Force blue colour is, is looks really lovely on her. Sybil early on before they go away on the golf holiday she's got a blue what I can only sort of think is pleather like that vinyl cheap bomber jacket like fake like Mr Johnson from last week it is and it's like um it's got a striped collar and cuffs I think they, they call them, it's like a cross between like a varsity jacket and a Harrington jacket I thought but I don't think that that would look out of place no, I think you could you could wear something like that. In fact, I, I got conned recently. Um, it wasn't Lord Melbury, was it? <laughs> no, I didn't give him my coins Good. to go and get valued. <laughs> but I did buy online a jacket that looked very much like the one that Sybil had on and it had like a patch on the back and it was lovely and it was far too cheap. What I paid for it really should have indicated to me that this was, yeah, it was too good to be true. And the jacket that I bought didn't turn up, but a misshapen black child's coat turned up um, in the post, and it wasn't what I'd ordered at all. But that that's just a bit of a segue. Um, so yeah, Sybil's um, bomber jacket, definitely worth a mention. Um, Basil's, Basil's sport jacket that he, that he turned back up in at the hotel. And it's like a, a cut and shot again. Um, we've got a cut and shot piece of um, piece of clothing. It's got like it's like bottle green at the top with like tweed at the bottom, and it doesn't really seem to make sense. It's like it's been two two jackets that have been stitched together to create a new weird looking jacket. And, it, and it's very odd. And he's got a hat on, and then he, he leaves and puts another hat over the top. Hmm. Um, Sybil's golf gear. Um, she's got like a yellow buttoned-up polo shirt, I suppose. Um, probably quite golf suitable, and a matching lemon yellow like Baker Boy hat, um, which reminded me of Felicity Kendall's hat in The Good Life. So she, yes, this like bright blue jacket with this, this lemon yellow top and hat. Very sort of very stark colours, very bold looking colours. But I think I think she gets away with it. I think Sybil does get away with looking sort of so not flamboyant, but just um, quite bold, quite a bold look. So yeah, there was plenty, plenty to talk about in the fashion corner this week. So once again, if you are looking to get involved with the Saddle Podcast and want to get in touch, you can check us out at Saddle Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, where we are going to be posting out rare videos and clips and things. On Facebook, uh, you can find us by searching for Saddle Podcast. You can subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, saddle.club where you can get more information about us, read the blog post that we that we put out, um, or listen to the episodes if you don't do podcast apps. Get in touch with us again by email at saddlepodcast at gmail.com. Tell us all the things that you're enjoying, things that we've missed. Um, and subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. So, looking forward to next week. Goodbye. Until then, I'll see thee.